Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright and I'm here with Carrie Plitt down the line from Oxford. Hi Carrie, (laughs) how are you doing? Hi Octavia, I've missed you and I'm so glad we're here recording this. I've missed you too. Yeah, and I've been on holiday, so I'm good, basically. It was sunny, I had a great time. It makes all the difference. How are you? I am deep in chapter seven. I'm submitting my manuscript next month. So I'm in the tunnel, basically. I'm a little Mm. feral and I'm in the tunnel, but it's okay. It's okay. You know what's hard? Finishing a book. You know what's harder than finishing a book? What? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing is harder than finishing a book. I thought that starting a book was really hard, but, you know, finishing is harder. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have never done it myself, but I work with a lot of people who do it and... I don't think anyone has had an easy time ever in the history of my career as a literary agent. So I don't know if that comes as some solace. Yeah, it's funny because I remember it from my thesis as well. And there's this like, it's like agony, agony, agony. And then right at the end, it clicks together. And I'm just like longing for that feeling of click. And I'm not there yet, but I've got a month. It's all right. But uh, yeah, my therapist was being very funny the other day. She was like, this is your process. You write until the last minute. This has been your process on every piece of work I've ever known you to do don't waver now. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I will be writing the last sentence the day I give it to my editor. And that's just how I roll. (laughs) I like that self-knowledge. Yeah. And I will keep my fingers crossed for the clickening. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) So as you've heard, Octavia is still working on finishing her book and um, really in the midst of it right now. So for the mini so today, instead of doing a new one, we thought that we would do something a little bit different, which will be new for some of you, because we are going to give all of our listeners a chance to experience one of our exclusive Patreon mini <laughs> That's right. And thank you for bearing with me while my brain is jelly. Normally these episodes or mini are just locked for our subscribers, but we really wanted to give you a taste of the kind of thing we're doing for our patrons. And we thought this was the best one to go for because it's it's a mini history of literary friction. And um, we recorded this in May last year. And it's a little looser and a little slower than the minisodes that you're used to hearing if you're not a patron. So we hope that you enjoy it. But it was a bit of a nostalgia fest for us. And it includes the story of the night that we first met in a pub many moons ago, which thankfully we both have equally as clear a memory of. Otherwise it would be awkward. (laughs) Um, And we also thought back to our very first amateur episodes and like the hell of being uh, live from the beginning oh god yeah some of the high points some of the low points over the years so yeah please enjoy and allow us to indulge ourselves a little bit because I think by now this is probably our 10th year of doing literary friction yeah it? it is so it's a little bit of a a little bit of a, a kind of looking back. And if you enjoy it and you would like access to a whole archive of minisodes like this one, maybe even better than this one, plus a new exclusive minisode every single month, you can support us on Patreon by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash lit friction. And you can also suggest themes for us there. So if you've got things that you'd really love to hear us wang on about, then that's where you can do that. <laughs> Indeed. But now here's the story of literary friction. We will be back in a week with another exclusive mini-sode for our patrons and then a show with an exciting author guest shortly after that. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. 
the story of literary friction. I'll see you all when I'm out of the tunnel. <laughs> Hello, patrons. Welcome to this. <laughs> that was so, like, camp. Sorry. Well, you put an exclamation point in the script. So I, I did, just, I did, I, I did. But I mean, I mean camp like like morning campers. Oh, oh, I see. I thought you meant camp like Susan Sontag. I mean, a little bit also. I think that those things definitely <laughs> cross over in the Venn diagram of campness. <laughs> well, as you know, I was a camp counselor. That's right. For many years. Um, so channeling that. Welcome to this, our second Patreon mini-sode. Before we get into anything, we want to say a massive thank you for supporting our work here. It's incredible to watch how our community here is growing, and we're really excited about what your contribution is going to allow us to do going forward. We really, really are. It's it's just amazing. You are all the best. A few of you have written in asking for lists of the recommendations that we make on the show. And we wanted to let you know we're about to team up with bookshop.org to do just that. And you'll be able to order the books directly from them, um, knowing that they are making contributions to support indie bookshops. So it's a really great way of not using Amazon. But before then, we just wanted to give you a heads up that we do list all of our recommendations in the show notes to each episode. So I think maybe it depends where you're listening. But if you're listening from any of the major podcast platforms, you should be able to see them in the about section of each episode. And you'll also find links there. If you're listening on NTS, then they don't put the recommendations in. So just head over to iTunes or Spotify or any of the other kind of big places and, and you'll be able to see that. Also, we want these extra minisodes on Patreon to give you what you really want from us. Um, so please, please hit us up on here with any suggestions or thoughts on um, subjects you'd like to hear us talk about. We're planning to keep these pretty relaxed. Um, we're feeling our way along with all of you. So we'll see how we go and where it takes us. Um, but yeah, do do get in touch and let us know. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, the feedback was that people like it relaxed. So keeping it relaxed. <laughs> I don't know why this has become a running joke. I, I, I don't think I'm that uptight. I mean, you're not that uptight. <laughs> the theme for this mini-sode is one that we've been asked to do a few times. But most recently, it was suggested by a patron called Ailey, who asked how the podcast came to be, as well as the highs, lows, and challenges of it. So we thought we'd give you a kind of potted history of literary friction. That's right. And this is where I am extremely glad of your temporal skills, Carrie, because I do not situate myself well in time and I genuinely have no idea how long have we actually been making a show of any kind together because I just I couldn't tell you. Well, I had to do some archival work in my emails to put together a timeline, um, but I have, and I'm very delighted to say that we've been making some kind of full show together for over eight years. That? <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. That is a long time. It's a really long time. Yeah. Wow. It's sort of embarrassing in some ways that we're not bigger. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there is a lot to be said for just quietly and consistently getting on with something. Yeah, okay. For eight years. <laughs> do you remember the night that we first met? Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> we were doing masters at the same time. That's right. And I knew about you because we shared a lot of friends. But I don't think we'd ever actually met or we'd like been in big groups together, like we'd never properly met. Yeah, and, but we finally did near the end of the year at the Maypole Pub, 
And I, I remember I walked in and you were, <laughs> you were like holding court. I remember it so clearly. I can remember where the table was. At this table of people, you were in a jumpsuit and some kind of fur coat. Oh I my think. god! And you were wearing these like amazing giant earrings. And then I remember we got into a conversation, and you immediately said that I should come stay with you in Paris, which was where you were going to teach the next year. And I was like, I need to be friends with this person. <laughs> I just kn- I knew instantly it was love at first sight. It was, but you never came to Paris. I know I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Why? I was devastated. <laughs> I remember that night and I remember another night not long after that where we went dancing together with Kate. Yeah. And we like shook it down at some absolutely shit club. I got kicked out of the club. Do you remember that? <gasps> oh my God, you it's did. It's the only I... time I've ever been kicked out of club. It was so embarrassing. What happened? I remember you getting <sighs> kicked out, but I can't remember what happened. Did you fight? I like... Bartender was very, very rude to me. And then I had probably had too much to drink and got a little bit aggressive with him. And then the next thing I knew, literally two men came and picked up both of my, like, my arms on either side and like walked me out the door and like threw oh me God. on the step of the club. Such overkill. Come on. I know. I was probably quite annoying, to be fair. <laughs> but it seems like I would have left if they asked me to. I remember you being like, amazingly forthright in general that evening (laughs) I went through I had a period we don't have to go too much into this but I went insane after I finished my exams that year I don't know what happened to me I've never been as up to party as I have been in that week yeah you were sassy you were sassy as hell I was so out there I was out there like there were multiple nights when everyone was trying to go home and I was like stay out and party with me (laughs) If you knew me now, you'd be like, what happened to you? Well, you don't, you do know me now. <laughs> I, and I'm not like, what happened to you? I just know that that part of you exists. Yeah, and it does. It comes out. It does. You wheel her out every now and again. And she's great. <laughs> but you could, she's unsustainable. Come on, that Carrie is an unsustainable character. So she is, she is unsustainable. She, she keeps me um, young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love her. <laughs> but yeah, so when, so we met probably, what, like three years before we started making a show together. Yeah, so that would have been 2010. Wow. Two, the year of 2009 to 2010, yeah. Bloody hell. So where did it all start, babe? Well, I'll tell you, um, I've put together, as I said, a little timeline based on my, um, <laughs> my email archive. Oh my God, I love you research. so much. Um, so it started when I was asked by NTS, who were just starting at the time in 2011, to do a literature show as part of a rotating show of art shows, which was called Kiss My Arts. Which is just great. That, the just puns a, have been there from, from the beginning. They have. And just a moment of appreciation for that particular pun, because it was a good one. Um, I had no experience. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea. Um, I don't know why they just let me do it because they didn't even do a test or anything. They're just like, yeah, sure, do it. But yeah, it was at that time, everything was live. It was all in this t- done from this tiny booth in Gillette Square in Dalston. The first ever broadcast, which I think was themed around protest, actually, because I remember my I had my friend Jamie come in who 
had been part of Occupy, and he talked about protest books. But uh, it also featured just 10 minutes of dead air. In oh, my God. Because I had another friend come in and do a book review, and we just didn't turn on her mic. So just 10 minutes of dead air. Oh, no. It was an absolute disaster, and I was so upset about it. Oh, babe. But, you know, kept doing it. On the 31st of March, 2012, was Octavia Bright's first appearance <laughs> on, on Kiss My Arts. And I asked you to do a book recommendation, didn't I? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I recommended a fabulous little novella called Amulet by Roberta Bolaño. And I remember you asked me and I I was nervous and I wanted to do a really good job because I I was back from Paris, obviously, and we were like, you know, we were we were hanging out again, and um, it was really lovely. But I, I, I definitely still wanted to impress you. <laughs> yeah, we were still in that phase of friendship where we yeah. liked each other, but we were kind of feeling each other out. Yeah, it was like courtship, yeah. and I was like, oh fuck, okay, I better, I better do a good job. So I remember, I wrote up this whole thing and practiced riffing off it, and like, yeah, I like put the work in, man. And I remember, I remember when I came to record it with you, you were really impressed that I'd bothered to prepare anything. And, and that was very pleasing, but I I also, I was still drinking at the time and I also was really hungover. And I was, I remember on my way down to the booth, just like kicking myself for being hungover. Cause I was like, this is, you want to do a good job at this. Come on. Why have you done this to yourself? I mean, welcome to the realities of alcoholism, everybody. But it was, um, I remember it really clearly and I had such a good time doing it. And I came, I came away from it thinking like, wow, radio is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I love doing it with you. It was kind of clear that we had a good repartee and I loved working with you even in that moment. So you came came on a few more times after that. And there are a few times when I, I, I was kind of like playing around with the format of the show at the time. And I remember you came on to discuss things. Um, you came on very appropriately for a show we did with Catherine Angel about her first book, Unmastered. And we talked about female sexuality. So, but I just, I loved having you on. And then NTS decided to disband Kiss My Arts, but asked me if I wanted to do a literature show just by itself monthly. And that's when, you know, I'd been finding it really, really difficult to do things by myself. And I just was like, I need a co-host for this. And you were very obviously the person to ask. Um, And I asked you and you said yes. So it is kind of like a relationship and a courtship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I was, I mean, when you asked me, it felt quite, I mean, it didn't feel completely out of the blue because I'd been coming on a bit more regularly as like a kind of regular guest, I guess. But I was not expecting it to go that way. And I was so pleased because I was also like up to my armpits in my PhD by that point. And I don't know, feeling very cut off from from reality, as you do when you're when you're doing a research project like that. And it was like you offered me this amazing lifeline to another world and another reality, and one that actually has had just as much of an influence on my career as the PhD. And that's what's kind of fascinating about when a project can emerge out of a just a really great relationship without the um, demands of profit or, you know, when you can just have a hobby together, essentially, and you can play and something can grow very organically. It's, it can be such a gift because you just, you do it in a very pure way, don't you? When you step into that territory with somebody, you're just like, let's do this and let's just keep doing it while we're having fun. And then 
10 years later or eight years later, whatever it is, you, you suddenly go, wow, this has really shaped my career choices, which is a yeah. beautiful thing. And I'm like, I'm so, oh, it's going to get really mushy, isn't it? But I'm just, I'm so grateful <laughs> to you for it, darling, really, truly. Oh, well, I could, I, I really honestly could not have done it without you. Never. And I'm grateful for it too. You know, at the time I was an assistant and feeling kind of out of control of my own life, you know, and this was this amazing thing that I could do that I could re-engage with books. I could talk to authors. I could make something that was my own um, with someone that I just loved talking to. So it was, it saved me. Also, well, you are and were very definitely the boss. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Less so now, but at the beginning for sure. And that's, you know, that worked for me as well. It was like, I got to kind of drop in and then you were were definitely behind the wheel at the beginning. Um, Yeah. Well, I I did have some teething issues with giving up control. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is You were very patient with me. You were very, very (laughs) patient with me. And um, I hope we've gotten to a place where it's more equal now. Oh, we definitely have. But the best thing about that is that it's been able to happen organically. And like, again, this is the, just the huge luxury, basically, of of being able to forge a working relationship with someone outside of the immense pressures of all of the things that come through work, right? Like, again, profit, but like you bring money into it and it immediately squeezes people. And obviously now we're starting to finally kind of make this more of a business. But the great thing about that is that we have all of these years of um, figuring each other's working methods and modes and personalities out. And I think that that, you know, obviously this is the great bonus of being able to make something in this way is that you can you can step into the more complex elements of of like working with somebody once you've already established a relationship that involves a lot of trust and that's really rare obviously the downside is that like you can't make money out of this kind of thing and so it's this kind of strange balance isn't it yeah yeah it is and that's I mean we can get into some of our challenges but I think we both find actually making it a business difficult because of the way that it started um the way we always thought of it but anyway our first show as a new show which we had to rename we decided to call it first edition at first <laughs> oh my god Can we just, didn't. it's so nerdy <laughs> i know it's so bad it's that's so like bad. a couple of uptight young women who are like i know trying first to be taken edition. really seriously <laughs> um but that was on the 2nd of february 2013 oh wow we put together a format which is p- still pretty similar to what we have for our um, our long shows with authors, which is kind mm. of amazing. And it was, you know, still in the NTS studio. It was, I think we'd started doing some pre-recording by then, but maybe even not because I have very clear memories. I should also say Eddie was so integral to all of this from yeah. the very beginning. Eddie, who at the time was my boyfriend, is now my husband, helped us with editing and planning and um, also be in the, the studio tech. with us yeah the tech. He, yeah eddie's presence in the studio in those early days was like absolutely integral to the show happening and not being full of dead air yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes and i have these memories of do you remember there were a few times when we just got locked out of the nts studio because yep. they like didn't give us the key for the extra great that we needed to open so I remember like arriving on a freezing winter morning in Gillette Square having to do a live show and they're just being like it was just shut 
Well, well, that was yeah because also we were scheduled at like eight in the morning or something, yeah. and obviously <laughs> I think it like, was like ten. <laughs> yeah, MTS would like roll into action at lunchtime, so <laughs> we'd be the the book nerds calling them, being like, "Hey, man, sorry, um, <laughs> we're trying to talk about literature." Yeah, in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I should say this was all on NTS, all of this up to this point as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then. On the 9th of November, 2013, we decided we wanted to change our name because first edition wasn't really working. It turns out there are also a lot of things in the literary world already called first edition, which we hadn't realized. And so we changed the name to Literary Friction. And we had our first show on the 9th of November, 2013. And we should also really give a shout out here to the person who came up with the name Literary Friction, (laughs) which was a guy I was dating at the time. And we'd had a lot of trouble coming up with another. We'd been like going through all the different literary puns. And listen, there is a lot out there in the world of books and publishing that uses puns. So that's like, I remember finding um, the term foxed, which is something that happens to pages. Is it kind of like a fungal infection? I don't know. It's something, something like that. And thinking, oh, foxed is quite fun. And then finding, of course, there's a literary magazine called Slightly Foxed and mm-hmm. things like that, just endless, endlessly, like texting Carrie in the middle of the night being like, I've got it. And she'd be like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I would just reject, but not come up with anything original either. <laughs> just yeah. be, I had nothing. nothing. You just, just that was treated hard. me mean and kept me keen. It was uh, a <laughs> constant rebuttal. No, no. No, but anyway, I remember this guy Stephen, who I was seeing. I um, I texted him and was like, he was you know quite a creative person, and and I was like, are you any good at puns by any chance? And he was, I think, in a pub with some friends or something, and he was like, yeah, yeah, hit me with it. What do you need? And I said, you know, we need to rename the podcast, and ah, uh, I don't know. And he um, he sent me a few that were very very funny and totally inappropriate, and then he sent me literary friction, and I was like, fucking hell, that's very good actually <laughs> that is very very good and um our uh, frisson did not last but he will be <laughs> eternally burned into my soul because of the gift he gave us of this name so Stephen wherever you are yeah. thank you thank you thank you thank you Stephen I mean people seem to really love literary friction it's a good name it's a great pun I really wish it was mine I, I like it does slightly pain me that it wasn't mine <laughs> <laughs> But I, my ego is not so fragile that I, I have to lie and claim it for my own. Yeah, um, it's amazing that you gave Stephen credit. That's thank you. Yeah, very good of you. <laughs> and then again, with the with the help of Eddie, we decided that in addition to going out on NTS, we wanted to make this a podcast. And so we figured out what RSS feeds were and how to host it. And by we, I mean Eddie. <laughs> I was going to say, babe. <laughs> yeah, he was brilliant about that, and he was yeah. very much the engine to make that happen. And it was partly because if you listen on NTS, um, it's great, but you can only stream it at that time. You couldn't download it and listen on the tube and stuff. And we'd had quite a lot of listeners being like, you know, I I love to listen, but I really, I want to listen while I'm commuting or doing whatever. And yeah, so he made that possible. And I think, I don't know if it's what's available on on the podcast platforms now. It definitely, the archive starts in 2015. I don't know if it was the first ever show we did as a podcast. I think it was um, with Terry again, from my email. Yeah, from my email um, work. I think it was great. Yeah, politics. Oh my god! Terry I mean, the Stiesme. thought of listening back to those shows know, makes me don't. blush. <laughs> oh, 
if any of you listeners do go back and listen, please be gentle with us. <laughs> <laughs> what about some of the highs for you? What are some of the highs? Yeah. Well, for me, the best high is recording. Whether it's interviewing authors or, or doing something like this with you, it just always gives me a buzz no matter what. Even if I'm nervous um, about the author or like I'm tired and I don't want to do it, I always emerge energized and happy. And I feel like the studio gave a bit more of a buzz as we've discussed, but actually I've gotten really used to recording from my room and and I still just love it. I always feel better after recording. Yeah, same, it. same, same. I mean, getting listeners emails over lockdown about how we'd help them get through lockdown meant more than almost anything else. And at a time when life was just feeling really overwhelming and I could hardly, you know, sign on to my emails every day for work, it really motivated me to keep doing the show. So that was amazing. Yeah. Meeting authors like Zadie Smith, Rachel Kushner, Elizabeth Strout, you know, people who I, whose work I genuinely love. And, and then to have in-depth conversations with them about their work is just amazing. And then I was just, I was also thinking about that first event we did with Faber at the Social in London with Evie Wilde and Ned Bowman and, and some Faber poets. And it was just, that was amazing. We yeah. sold it out. Um, just being in front of a live audience felt great, didn't it? Yeah, it was so fun. It was really, really, really fun. And I remember we got, um, Eddie played some music and we had another DJ from NTS come down yeah, and play some yeah. music and like made it a whole night. I mean, in another world, I would love to be to doing that regularly. It would be, it would be so fun. I mean, for me, the highs, yeah, definitely live events. I mean, definitely also, I feel the same way about recording. It's always just, um, it's always just wonderful. And I, I, it's never not been, I don't think I've ever come away from a recording session grumpy or resentful or any of those mm -hmm. things. And yeah, some of the conversations with authors, especially when um, like work has crossed my path at a time that has been really useful to me in my own work or in my life in general. Like there's sometimes a funny alchemy of what comes to us on the show and what I need to hear or um, that I, ch I really cherish. And I, I'm a superstitious old fool. So sometimes it feels um, <laughs> like a, an external force. I don't know. I think also one of the things I love is that actually because we try to be as kind of within reason, within our, our kind of personal politics, I suppose, but we try to be as, as broad ranging as possible on the show. And we try to have a really wide variety of literature and writers and perspectives. I have definitely read books that I would never have read left to my own devices when I'm thinking about what our listeners might like, or also things that you've, you know, authors that you've been really drawn to that I hadn't heard of or wouldn't think that I would like, and actually have found the books to be wonderful and thrilling and the conversations to be really, really educational and fascinating and, and all those things. I mean, I definitely would never have read so much contemporary realism, like no way. And I, <laughs> and, and it's been great. It's been great for my writing. It's been great for my thinking. It's something I truly, truly cherish. Um, yeah. It's the same for me. I mean, you, you personally have expanded my reading taste so much and that I really, really cherish that. Um, but as you say, beyond that, just reading things that we think our listeners might like that maybe neither of us would pick up, but 
we're intrigued by it. And almost always we end up getting something out of it, don't we? Yeah. And I think that that in itself is something that that's like a practice, you know, like I think, I think doing the show, I think also for me with my academic background all the way through the sort of PhD and also for you, you know, your academic background too. Um, and actually probably your work as well. Like we've both chosen parts in our lives that require us to develop that practice of like reading with an interested eye, reading with a like, um, with a, a hope to find something good in the thing that you're reading. And I do think that that can be a practice. I think it's a bit like the practice of remaining open-minded. It's way easier to retreat into what's comfortable and it's a very human thing to do. And I think that the practice of pushing yourself to to, to reach your limits and, and, and step over them if you're strong enough in that moment to do so. It's like a very, very important way of living. Um, and the practice of that is something that's just in like constantly called upon in making the show and in some of the other work that I do. And I, um, it's something I'm very grateful for in my life. I, I, I think it's, yeah, it's great. and grateful to you for as well. Really, really. And you've expanded my reading so much as well. That's, I think that's one of the things for me that keeps me interested in doing this as well is that I have a lot of friends who we have the same books on our shelves without thinking and you know maybe we have a more similar relationship to some of the stuff than you and I do and and that's great but it's not interesting to me in the same way like I love how different you are to me and I love how differently you relate to books sometimes and then also because of that when we have exactly the same feelings about something it's really really rewarding and exciting <laughs> yeah yeah, it's so true. Well, it's that perfect alchemy of like enough in common that we can meet each other in an arena that makes sense to both of us, but enough difference that we can introduce each other to new things and new ideas and new ways of thinking about things. Um, yeah. Again, like a relationship, <laughs> <laughs> like a romantic. I mean, babe, we are, we are in a relationship. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah we are. We are. <laughs> what about the lows then? Yeah, well, there there have been some lows. Um, <laughs> those 10 minutes of dead air in the first episode was maybe the worst I've ever felt about the show. Um, yeah. I, it was really, really tough. I remember, like, crying on my bed and Eddie sort of being like, it's okay. Oh, um, and, of course, it is okay and I can laugh about it now. And that is uh, the beauty of time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Growing. Uh, but it, it felt bad. Um, yeah, getting locked out of the studio, that was not great. Getting on the wrong train and missing the interview with Zadie Smith, that was oh, love. that was bad. That was bad. I think at the time I lied and said that um I'd I like the train was delayed, but I just got on the I just got on the wrong train. <laughs> See, this is what you get on Patreon, the candid yeah, truth. I lied. I lied. <laughs> it was just so unprofessional. But it, it was nice, you know, I got to see you do most of the interview, which was fantastic um, because I came I came late and just watched it. And I and and we got to go out to dinner afterwards with Sadie, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, so I didn't miss all of it. But yeah, that was mortifying and terrible. Um, and also just so human and the kind of thing that happens, you know, like I was just sad that you missed out on the opportunity to talk to her in that in that way. Um, yeah, but I was so glad that you still made it anyway. That you still that you didn't just give up and go home, which is always tempting in those kinds of situations, isn't it? It is. Um, I'm glad I made it too. 
and uh, you did a wonderful interview. So I was just oh, thank was you. glad to witness it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, do you remember the time that NTS made a mistake and told us that they were canceling the show? Do I remember? Of course, I was devastated. Yeah. I remember actually that was a real turning point for us because we had um, not exactly been like sleepwalking through anything at all, but we had taken it for granted a bit. And there was this moment where where they said that and, you know, this was before we could do things online. And and so we were completely reliant on the studio for the recording um, capabilities. And yeah, we were we were really upset. I remember we had a really panicked phone call and I had this moment of being like, wow, this is meaningful to me. Okay. Okay, that's yeah. good information, you know? And we basically decided to keep doing it without NTS. And yeah. then they were like, oh, wait, we're, we, we actually want you. We were just <laughs> wrong about that. But it uh, felt, it was it was a good kick in the butt. Wasn't it? it really was a good kick in the butt. And that those, that's why, you know, those things can be a, a blessing in disguise. But I do remember my stomach falling out of my bum when I read that email. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What are your lows? Similarly, those moments where we were locked out of the studio, just that feeling of anxiety and dread of like, oh my God, we're going to, you know, you just, it's that feeling of letting someone down and uh, oh, the fear of dead air, the fear of, I mean, we've had some technical wobbles that have always been like, basically because I feel very unable to fix the technical stuff. It's really not my skill set at all. So the dread I have around that is like exponential because I'm just like, but I just don't know what to do. But there was another actually, which was a friend of mine um, years, many years ago, set up very kindly, um, put us in touch with quite a big wig radio producer who shall remain nameless, but he meant well. And this friend set this up this meeting and we went to have a drink with this guy. And, um, and he really did mean well, but he gave us advice that was essentially really a paternalistic b super minimizing and c like oh, a little bit misogynist and i remember like really wanting to take what he said on board because he he's a very experienced man in the in the world of talk radio and um you know this friend made this connection as a gesture of goodwill and everything and i remember listening to him because the advice he gave us was you know to market ourselves uh, to magazines like um, like women's magazines and to really ham up the fact that you're American and I'm English. And it felt a bit like he like was envisaging us in like, I'm in a Union Jack bikini, you're in an American flag bikini and we're like <laughs> yeah. wrestling in jelly. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I just, it was very uncomfortable. And we sat there very politely listening to him and, and taking it all on board. And I remember we left and we didn't go home straight away because we needed to debrief about it. And our hearts had sunk, hadn't they? Mm, yeah. And yeah, he kept it, saying like, I mean, he did, he gave one very good piece of advice where he said, you're never going to make a living out of this. So only do it while you're getting pleasure from it. And the minute it stops being fun, it's really not worth your while. And I do think that's good advice actually, because it sets your expectations appropriately. And I think also, this is not something that he told us, but something that we've discovered through doing this, that like, you know, it's only really fun to listen to people who are enjoying themselves. Like a podcast is very boring when the people don't seem to be getting a kick out of it, I think anyway. And I have listened to podcasts like that where I just think, what are you guys getting out of this? This is not very pleasurable. Yeah, it's so true. But not enjoying themselves so much that they lose all sense of like structure and <laughs> <laughs> like actually do if it's just friends having a chat it drives me nuts yeah so I've always tried not to do that but uh, he also did give us another piece of good advice which was that we should do interviews together 
because I used oh, to do yes, them by myself. Oh, yes, that came from remember? him. Yeah, I'd forgotten that came from him, actually. Yeah, so that was, and that was really smart of him to suggest. But yeah, he did not understand our show at all. He kept comparing us. I can't remember what it was called, but it was it was called something like like Radio Lipstick Pretty Girls or oh something. My and he's God, like, you, should, right. you should listen to that. Oh my God. And I was like, I don't, just judging by the name, I don't think that's quite the vibe we've been going for. Yeah. But like, in a way that almost made it easier to disregard his advice because it was like, he, he just doesn't understand what we're doing. He does not. He doesn't get it. And he thinks that it's only for women in a way that like, is minimizing of women first of yeah. all. Yeah. Um yeah, that was a low though because I I did sort of think, oh god, is this because we we had that meeting because we were trying to think of ways to make it more sustainable and to grow the show. And um and I came away from it with my heart sort of sinking thinking is this what the radio establishment thinks about about what we're trying to do? But that's the kind of wonderful thing about the renegade power of podcasting is that you can bypass the big um, establishment channels for making radio and and make something in your own space and see whether it has traction or not over time, you know? Totally. What about challenges? What are the biggest challenges for you? Yeah. Well, there, there are some challenges too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely fitting it in with the rest of my work. Um, yeah. And I won't go too into this because I think it's boring to talk about, but you know, I, as listeners will know, I work as a literary agent. That is a job that not only happens from, you know, 9.30 to 6.30, but uh, but outside of work, reading and going to launches when things are normal. And, you know, it, it, I just, I work a lot for my job. Um, and so fitting this podcast in is tough sometimes. And because it's something that's much more rigidly scheduled, um, I think I I really have to make sure that like when I have urgent things to do for the podcast, it doesn't mean that I'm totally neglecting my job and and vice versa. So sometimes I feel like I work all the time and that's hard. And and you know, this is fun and I still think of it as something that's really pleasurable, but it is work and I think it's important to acknowledge it as work as well. Right. And that's one of the reasons that we set up the Patreon because it, it's very hard for something to feel like work to yourself. And this is all because of heteropatriarchal capitalism. Let's just get that <laughs> there out there. But, <laughs> but, you know, it is hard to, and and as this has grown and, and we've got more listeners and we've wanted to make more content, and obviously that just means more time. Yeah, it was becoming hard to to reconcile that with not being able to make any make any money from it. And then you have this very awkward intersection between like making something for pleasure and for enjoyment and monetizing and the ugly, sticky nature of that. And that's one of the things that I find super challenging as well is making this transition and making sure we do it in a way that doesn't compromise our integrity when we work with sponsors, for example, and doesn't compromise the integrity of our listeners as well, which is really important to us. Yeah. Um, I find the business things both difficult and totally boring. And it's so funny because I quite like doing those things for my client as an agent, but I find it so hard to do them for myself. Yeah. Um, it's confronting. It's really tricky. Really tricky. It, it's this whole thing of not wanting something that you enjoy and make, um, to to have to like muddy it with money but of course as you say that's because of the system we live in and, and we probably should be paid for our work you know I mean of course we should be paid for our yeah. work yes that's we the, should that's we, the bottom line like yeah 
yeah, we should be like everyone should be not not because yeah, it's it's really complicated. I mean, I think because I work as a freelancer, I have to do it. I've had to learn how to do it for myself in my work as a writer and as a broadcaster in other contexts. Um, and and it's 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 something that yeah, I've not found easy at all. And I'm so aware that the reason I don't find it easy is also very much to do with the gendered way I have the gendered framework within which I have grown up and all of that stuff. And I, you know, I challenge it in myself all the time, but I, I find that side of this challenging as well, but actually I think it's very important challenge. I think it's very important to keep pushing through it. Um, and I found getting out of my comfort zone and being, being a bit of a business person, um, and like getting in touch (laughs) with sponsors and being like, Hey, (laughs) has been kind of thrilling actually, because, um, yeah, it's a good muscle to flex and it makes yeah. you feel very um, uh, kind of powerful is the wrong word because that suggests power over other people, which is not what I mean. But I guess there's a strength that comes from it that is very satisfying. Um, I mean, the- I feel that way about tech stuff. Yeah. Because I really, anyone who knows me will know that I'm I'm just not a very naturally technologically astute person. And I, this doing the show has really, really, really made me have to get out of my comfort zone for that to learn. You know, when we were recording with people in my office, I used to have to, like, we had a whole setup with like a soundboard and a mixer and uh, mics. And I had to do all of those and monitoring them while I was doing the interview. And I found it immensely stressful, but I did actually do it. And equally, I learned how to, how to edit, edit a podcast, which I had no idea how to do before. And so I, I think you're right that those challenges can sometimes be a really good thing. Totally. Also, you kept your cool so brilliantly in those times. Like I I think I it's easy for me to forget that you're not that naturally technologically adept because I've always you've always made it look even though I know it's been challenging for you, you've always made it look pretty easy to me and I have always been, felt very comfortable kind of relying on you to take to shoulder that side of things. And so it's good to be reminded that it's not it's not natural to you, but you make it look easy, babe. Do you know who's really good at it is Eddie. Yeah. Ama- it, it like amazes me every day the way he solves problems in that yeah. way. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. The different ways people can relate to that stuff. I also, the biggest challenge for me was I, a, a tech idiot, was uh, building us a website for literally, I think, three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like diligently like putting all the copy in and writing all this copy and pulling out quotes from each thing. And really, I had big, big plans for this website, everybody. And then it just, it just actually wasn't going to work. And there was this like moment of, um, of like, you know, when you reach a, a crossroads with something you've been working on and there's, you realize it's just not going to come off. And there's this like giddy liberation in letting something go that has been a burden. But there's also this like sadness because you've put all this bloody work in. But that happened about six months ago. And it's been very liberating since because we just figured out that there are other ways of doing it. And frankly, having a, a, a website that looks quite shonky isn't really worth it. And we can't afford to have a, a website built. And maybe it's something we can do in the future and all the copy will be useful to us then. But um, that was a real challenge. That was a real, real yeah. challenge. But again, you know, maybe you learned something from it. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say I learned much about websites, but I, I definitely <laughs> learned about how to like um, let go of something that's not working for you eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's important too. It's like letting go of books, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very pro letting go. It's a good one. 
Well, that is our short history of literary friction. I hope it was interesting to people besides us. Yeah, I know. I I really do as well. (laughs) But thank you for listening. We will be back in your podcast feed soon with a full show. Our next guest is Rachel Kushner, and we are so, so excited about it. We've already taped the conversation with her, and it was just fascinating. Um, So I, I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Yeah, me too. And until then, you can also find our archive in all the usual places. So if you do want to time travel back to when we were baby interviewers in 2015, please be gentle. (laughs) (laughs) And also, uh, yeah, you will be spared our early, early incompetence because those very, very early shows aren't available. But um, 2015 uh, starts with Terry Stiasny and Patina Gappa were two of the shows that we did then that were very interesting. So yeah. Uh, enjoy but also know that we matured (laughs) (laughs) and thank Thank you thank god thank you and thank god (laughs) 